When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menas. I'm coming down from the high of the World Cup. Joining me is my good friend, Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you? Good, Menas. Um, I'm same as you, but I've been um, enlivened by the fact that we've got a sponsor. We have a sponsor. And little challenge for you guys, listeners out there, see if you can pick the bit where we start um, talking about our sponsor. It's coming up in a, in a few minutes. It's... Hopefully we'll be as seamless as uh, Alan Jones and Johnny Laws were back in the cash for comments days. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, really happy to have a sponsor for uh, the season. And uh, it's so weird, Paul, because we've started with the World Cup, it's like, where do you go from there? Like, it's it's now like the season sort of kicking off again. It's, 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 quite, it's, it's a weird feeling. Well, I <laughs> I actually went into a time machine um, uh, the other day. I went a month forward into the future, and I said to I, I tried to do that thing in um you know that Back to the Future too, where they the guy used the sports book to make himself rich, and I said to everyone, okay, um, cricket fans, tell me the result of the Australia England three match one day series, uh, and I'm going to bet on it, and no one knew. It was a month after it, not, not a <laughs> single person was even aware it was on. I mean, who? Ah, uh, look. When you when you go into the future, does the English team turn up to the first game, or do they just bar it and go and play golf? They didn't know it was on. They're still celebrating <laughs> for the World Cup. Um, I they mean, forfeit. I don't want to blame Cricket Australia because I understand they've got to get these matches in, but it's a bit sad that the best rivalry Australia's ever had in cricket. That you know, there's still India Pakistan, notwithstanding, it's still kind of the the big cricket rivalry that's stood the test of time australia and england has there ever been a less uh anticipated series than than these three games i mean the funny thing is after writing them all off like this i'm still actually really looking forward to watching them but when you see in the world cup how good white ball cricket is when it really matters to go back to this endless um cycle of effectively friendlies is what you'd call them if it was soccer football it's a bit um you know I'm sure that it's got very vital points for whether uh, whether no, or not these no points no I points. Be- I was being sarcastic. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> there is no point. They're literally just you know warm up games for the World Cup. It's about Australia, you know, nailing down its best team, and uh, you know nothing excites fans more than you know being told uh, it's you know it's a preparation game. Exactly, and uh, even if there were points on the line, it would be um, you know coming into the. the- the 2027 world cup because we've already we're already in the 2023 world cup it would be 
these are vital points on the line because if Australia loses every one day international between now and 2027, we mightn't be in the next World Cup. And it's like, yeah, okay, fantastic. But um, I'm still looking forward to them. Yeah, funny enough, I am looking forward to them. And I I I love this sort of build up to the World Cup. Like this, Australia's only got about 15, 50 over games before the 2023 World Cup. And each one of them to me has got something on the line. You know, who's going to be in our squad come India next year? So I'm going to really love them. But you know, you know, I'm a different sort of species. I'll watch any cricket anytime. So, you know, seeing Australia play England is a bit of a treat. But I, I think England did like by winning the T20 World Cup, you know, it takes a, a bit of a luster off this for them because yeah, they they you know Mo and Ali made it clear that they're not happy about this. Yeah, and that's and so what I said before that should never be the case in an Australia England series. It should be special. It should be um, looked forward to. But um, it is what it is. It is what it is indeed. So we have a lot to get through in our regular weekly Cricket Unfiltered. Our daily World Cup shows are, are gone or our, our shorter shows. So we, we've we've got some big stories to cover off first. Then we get into the cricket headlines. Then we'll wrap it up with Can't Let It Go. But the, the big headline, uh, couldn't believe it when I woke up I think was it Sunday morning and found out that Glenn Maxwell had broken his leg and was out for three months. Just incredible. Oh, it's just, um, it's really sad. Like apart from anything else, you don't want, you don't want to see anyone breaking a leg. Um, but this feeling of that we've, I and you have had for years now of, will he ever get another test match after the success of 2017 and he had a few few years before that as well, that you just keep on getting teased and teased and teased. And I think he was going to be picked most likely uh, on the tour of India for the test, for the test series. And, and that that's now uh, under jeopardy. Although I see that he's still, he hasn't written it off. Um, he, he's hoping to get back towards the, the, the end of the big bash and then um, target the Indian test tour. So hopefully he can do that. I mean, it's an incredible story how it happened. He was at a 50th birthday in a, in a backyard and I think they were playing beer pong and, uh, you know, they started, Maxi started, well, they were chasing each other around, uh, you know, having a bit of banter with the game. And, um, yeah. Um, but I heard that, that they, I mean, not, not that there's anything wrong with being intoxicated, but I heard that neither of them were intoxicated. So, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're entitled to have a few beers at a party, but apparently they weren't drunk or anything. No, no, absolutely not. It's just one of those things, but it's it's a hor- you know a horrible thing to happen. You know, it's a huge blow for the summer, Paul. You know, the, the big bash needs every star they can get. Glenn Maxwell, the the biggest of them all, now ruled out of the big bash. Uh, just a, a hammer blow to the tournament. Um, so I'm really sad about that. I, I do think it's going to make it really difficult for him to get on that uh, test tour of India next year. You know, he might be sort of back playing, but will he be really in peak form to go on a gruelling test tour of India? It's, it's just, it's very, very sad. It is, but I want to look at the positives and say, for a start, going to India, there's not much that you're going to get by way of preparation in playing in Australia. I know you talk about being match fit and physically fit, but I think, I think once he's back, he'll be fine in that regard. And maybe 
and you wouldn't wish this on him, but maybe the break will do him good. That sometimes these elite sport, elite cricketers, when they have an enforced bit of time off, they rediscover a bit of um, a bit of love for the game. And it, who knows? Um, not having to play all these white games might be the best thing um, for him. And I, I still entertain the hope that he'll go over there, play in the side, and um, and even cement a spot to be in the Australian side come next summer and actually play a test match on Australian soil for the first time in his life. Uh, you're dreaming. Tell him he's dreaming because you are. It's no I've way. I've got to cling to something. I've got to cling to something, mate. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Glenn Maxwell effectively out for the summer. Just stunning news. Um, there, there's a lot, a lot of big news around the IPL. Uh, Pat Cummins made the decision to pull out of his contract with the, the Calcutta Knight Riders. Um, Alex Hales has also pulled out of the IPL, Sam Billings. Um, but, yeah, big one for Pat Cummins, and I, I think uh, the right decision. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if he hadn't, if the franchises might have taken the the decision out of his hands. I don't know that he would have got picked up. Yeah, I've got a theory about Pat Cummins I want to run by you, Paul, that in T20 cricket, you actually have to think a lot more about each each ball. And if you're a bit tired and you're a bit worn out, that, that can maybe where he's going wrong. In test cricket and ODI cricket, he's running, hit a length, hit the seam, do his stuff. So I actually don't mind this decision. Yeah, I think it's a good decision. And I, I, I know what you mean, that he is one of the best test bowlers Australia's ever had. You could make an argument that he's the best. But it's very difficult when the batter knows that the 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 risk-reward is so different in T20. You can have three or four good shots and walk off for scoring 18 off 10 in a T20 game and get a tick as having a good innings. And so when you when you can kind of bank on where the ball might be and you can just take a punt on it, then you can do things against bowlers who do bowl a little bit more of in a traditional style. Um, so it, it might be the right thing for him to do to retire from international T20 cricket actually as well. Yeah, maybe. Um, th- so there's big news is broken today that Cameron Green will go in the IPL auction next year. And I think this is a good thing. Um, I think it's the right time for his career to go over there and see how he goes against the world's, world's best. And I know there was, um, I was listening to the radio today and I think Jared Waitley was saying, you know, of all years to go to the IPL, uh, he's going, you know, in a World Cup year, an Ashes year. But I think he's he'd waited long enough. I agree. I think it's good that he goes. And I think that it could actually be a, um, a good thing as far as the World Cup is concerned, um, given that he might really improve his bowling in those conditions over there. I mean, he should speak to Hazelwood about, Hazelwood about what Hazelwood did, because I think that Green has the potential to be a fantastic T20 bowler, that hard length and the tall and the accurate and all of that sort of stuff. But I think that at the moment, if he bowls in the IPL, he may get taken down a few times and he might have to adapt and improve. So maybe by the time of the World Cup, um, he'll have been, he'll be an even bigger asset to Australia. Yes, valuable experience on those pitches and against the best T20 players in the world. And uh, I guess Green, from his point of view, like he's not in. Um, you know, Australia's best white ball teams at the moment. So, you know, he's, he's got every right to go over there and, and try and improve his game and stake his claim. And also, if, as I suspect, he goes for a whopping big sum of money, it will kind of make the Australian selectors sit up and take notice. Even 
even if they say they won't, but the public will notice it because these Indian Premier League clubs aren't picking, you know, there's, they are ruthless these days. Maybe in the early days, there might have been a bit of, we want some players for some show and some some glamour. Now they're just brutal about getting the very, very best. best. I reckon Green will go for a fortune and um, it might make the Australian selectors take some notice. Mm, yeah, good point. It's some other news. Um, I, I've got all the Australians that have been released by their IPL clubs because I think it makes for quite interesting reading. Uh, Daniel Sams and Riley Meredith were both released by Mumbai. Andrew Tai by Lucknow. Nathan Coulton-Isle by the Rajasthan Royals. Sean Abbott was released by the Sunrisers, which to me that's a strange one because he's just seems to be getting better and better. Uh, Jason Berendorf was released by... Um, RCB and Aaron Finch, no surprises, was released by Calcutta Knight Riders. There's some good cricketers released there, and Riley Meredith, who went for a fortune, uh, wasn't asked back. Yeah, but sometimes they release them for strategic reasons. That uh, I know it's never a great sign if you're getting released, but sometimes you'll find that those same clubs might end up bidding back for them. That, that it's just kind of um, there's a lot of strategy that goes into it. As <laughs> I sound like one of these people saying, "Oh, there's so much analytics in cricket these days," but I think they do have a fair bit of strategy. And you might find that certainly with Abbott, um, I think that he'll get picked up because you're right, he's in the he's in superb form, and I think he probably should be in the Australian team. When he's side. yeah, so they're the big. Uh exclusions by the IPL clubs and there will be a mini auction soon. So we'll see what Cameron Green goes for. Um, All right. So we've got some more cricket headlines, but before then uh, this episode is proudly brought to you by Nord VPN and what a perfect time for a VPN to sponsor cricket unfiltered because at the moment, cybercrime is an important issue in Australia. Uh, every day you read about these major companies uh, where uh, they're hacked and information is stolen. Um, so, you know, NordVPN is a, a great solution for your cybersecurity. It's incredibly easy to use. With one click, you can be protected. Uh, you don't have to be, you know, a, a tech savant to use it. And, um, you know, you can protect up to six devices with one account. So for the price of one coffee a month at the moment with all the cyber stuff floating around i think it's a great time to sign up to nord to nord vpn and also from a sports watching point of view if you're overseas or if, you, if the sporting event that you're watching is not being shown in the country you're in um with uh with nord vpn you can switch your virtual location to a country that is showing the sport um uh, so you, you don't want to miss out so watch the action live i've done it i've done it overseas um it was actually an NRL game. I know you love your rugby league minutes. Um, mm. Australia, I, I, I couldn't watch it where I was. Switched on, um, switched it on, and, and the VPN got me got me there. So, um, at the moment, it's as many said, a price of a, a cup of a coffee every month, a cup of coffee every month, small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to a vast amount of entertaining content from all over the world. Uh, the code is nordvpn.com/slash/cricketunfiltered. And so you can try it risk-free now with a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com slash cricketunfiltered. Yes, indeed. And that link will be in the show notes, so you can click right through from there. All right, let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcast. So the World Cup stats wrap, Paul. I just wanted to just look at um, the, you know, the leading run scorers and strike rates because I think it's good to sort of look back on the tournament with a bit more detail than we did after the final. And, uh, well, no surprises, Virat Kohli was the leading run scorer in the tournament. Uh, Mitch O'Dowd was in second spot for the Netherlands. Now, 
Paul, if I'd said to you before the tournament that a Dutch player will be second on the run scorers, would you have believed me? Well, I suppose the fact that they count the pre- prelim games as well, um, I, yeah, I probably would have, but I don't really care because the one that's looming for me is third, Surya Kumar Yadav. 239 runs. I backed him. Small bet, I think 36 to 1 before the um, early in the tournament to be the top scorer. I went so close. I, you know, I deserved, I should send a letter to the betting company saying, give me something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he is the standout breakout star. I mean, he was already a star before it, but uh, I reckon most people now, if they're picking their world T20 side and the first batter they pick is Sky. Yeah, well, um, yeah, he's an incredible player. And, um, yeah, some other performances. Alex Hales with 212 runs. Um, there were two centuries made. Glenn Phillips, um, his famous 100, and uh, Riley Russo, who smashed both at the SCG. So uh, good place for 100s. But overall, you know, no real dominant figure with the bat, you would say. Well, what you'd also say um, is, unless I've just done the maths wrong, um, if I'd said to you before the tournament that there wouldn't be a single Australian in the top 25 most prolific run scorers, that would be, <laughs> that wouldn't have been a good sign. I think Marcus Stoinis, 26th with 126 runs at a strike rate of 162. That's um, shows where um, things went wrong for the Aussies. Obviously getting the game rained off against England didn't help. No, you're right. Um, yeah, that's pretty poor. And, and the bowling doesn't get much better. Um, so just with the strike rates on the batting, I think this makes a really interesting reading. You brought up Yadav with his massive strike rate. But I think, you know, other players like um, uh, Riley Russo, he he went at almost 170 in the tournament. Um, Finn Allen, he only made 95 runs, but he did it at 186. And basically derailed Australia's campaign in one innings. Shadab Khan made 98 runs at one almost 170 as well. Some crucial knocks there. So, you know, some really, really good strike rates for some of those uh, batters. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, looking at the bowling, um, just before we get to the overall bowling, I just thought it was really interesting to compare um, specifically just the Aussies and the Pakistani um, lineups because Pakistan were kind of the best lineup in the, in the World Cup as far as bowling. And just reading selected few of the of the prime pace bowlers, Shaheen Sharafridi, economy rate of 6.16, Nassim Shah, 6.23, um, Harris Ralph, 6.85, and uh, Mohammed Wasim, 7.29. Then you go to the Aussies and you've got Cummins, 8.25, Hazelwood, 8.27, and Stark, 8.50. Um, that's a, I think there's a, a pretty telling stat. Oh, very much so. I mean, we were never in this tournament. That's what, I mean, you don't, no one wants to hear Mad Menners again, but I keep here. I heard Pat Cummins today say, oh, we weren't that far off. I heard David Warner say we weren't that far off. I heard Andrew McDonald say we weren't that far off. You were miles off. You were miles off. Stop kidding yourselves. It's bullshit. Continue, please. <laughs> well, I mean, they weren't that far off. Now, um... <laughs> so you'd start. Uh, they're miles off. Like Afghanistan almost beat them. Farcical. Look, look in the mirror. You uh, and them. All of you. <laughs> no, as I said before, there's plenty of things to criticise about their tournament. It's a massive disappointment. But as I've said, they had a bit of good luck a year ago getting the, the winning the toss in the um, in the semi and the final and making the final and making the semis after having been obliterated by England. You look at this tournament, we got obliterated by New Zealand and then 
we didn't get an opportunity against England and fortune, you know, prevented us um, from making the semis in the finals. You'd say we had um, an overshare of good luck in the last tournament and a little bit of uh, bad luck in this tournament. Now, had we played England, they may well have thrashed us, but we might have beaten them. So it was poor, but I think you're going a bit too hard on them. Uh, uh, I just can't believe that. Like, yeah, they, like they got bowled out for a hundred in their first game. Like, someone should have told them whatever we do. Like, when New Zealand puts up that big score, McDonald's got to go around to Wade seven, eight, nine, ten, and say we can't get bowled out for a hundred here. And I'm sorry, but that's just smart cricket. Is it, that that is not like defeatist attitude? That's if we don't get close, don't get bowled out. Yeah, but they can't because remember how they used to have that elite honesty sign up on the wall <laughs> at, at all World Cups, even it just it's through natural weathering and erosion in the Australian dressing room on the wall in massive print is we don't talk about net run rate. So they just can't, mate. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, look, I, I could go on for ages, but I mean, those stats are right. I mean, Stark, Hazelwood and Cummins um, all had... Um, forgettable World Cups. Hasaranga was the leading wicket-taker with 15 wickets for Sri Lanka and an economy of 6.41. That's incredible. Sam Curran, player of the tournament, with 13 wickets. Um, Delita also took 13 wickets for the Dutch. Um, so they were the top three leading wicket-takers. And, um, you know, economy rates I thought was interesting – Anrik Nokia, he went for at 5.37 runs per over in the whole tournament. Uh, Mustafiza Rahman went at 5.6. Uh, just some just tremendous bowling performances. Um, to go under a runner ball in a T20 tournament's phenomenal. Absolutely. He's a great bowler, Nokia. Such a good bowler. Yeah, I can't wait to see him in the, the test coming up. Yeah, I'm a bit, I might be watching from behind the couch, I think. Aussie batsman might want to join you. Um, (laughs) And and sort of, I guess, I don't know what, what um, I sort of look, when I look at these stats and I look at the tournament, what my sort of general conclusions are, but, but I do think we've seen the real emergence of that's kind of not bits and pieces cricketer, but you know, if you can bash 20 or 30 or 15 balls and bowl four overs, then you are really valuable now. Big time. And Sam Curran, what a player. Um, you know, he, he was just, every time he, he took the ball during the World Cup, uh, and I had a few times when I was wanting England not to win for various reasons, it was like, oh, here we go again. Um, uh, you know, if, you, if, if before a match you'd said to me that he would take one for 24 off his four overs, I would have taken that every single time. And that's saying something. Yeah, it's a phenomenal performance. Um, yeah, so look, speaking of Sam Curran, let's preview this much-anticipated uh, one-day series. Um, so England are the first, the number one-ranked team in the world in ODI cricket. Australia are the fifth-ranked team. And, uh, yeah, um, they play at the... Uh, Adelaide Oval on Thursday night. So you might have already seen that game if you're listening to this. Um, they play on Saturday night at the SCG and then they play Tuesday at the MCG. So uh, three big rounds for a, a big occasion. Stay tuned for Can't Let It Go, where I've got a stat about that MCG game. For those of you who commit every episode of this podcast to memory, you will remember that about Three months ago, I teased a stat about the next one day at the MCG. Well, it's coming today. 
There was a report today that Cricket Australia aren't uh, optimistic on getting crowds to these ODIs. And this is a real challenge. You know, it's a busy time of the year for people leading up to, you know, the school holidays and summer. You've just had a T20 World Cup. You know, the economy's a bit tough at the moment, so people are watching their pennies. Uh, It'll be, be very hard to imagine them getting crowds of any nature at these these matches and the contrast if if it is not so high is going to be um very very um you know everyone's going to be saying wow the mcg was certainly full when zimbabwe played india um why is it not full when uh, australia play england and that's a bit harsh because you do expect um a little bit of a dip off but um yeah um i'm just while we're talking and i know that you sometimes get a bit um uh, over this, but I'm just having a look at the the, the ticket prices for the um, game, and oh my god, you'd think that maybe given that that was going to be the case, they'd want to um, discount them a little bit. Top level tickets at the SCG, a hundred and fifty five dollars, then a hundred and twenty five, um, and then oh, they always put it, and then ninety five after that, and then some cheaper options. I'm sure that there are some cheaper options, but as I always say, the SCG, if you're going to be there for seven or eight hours you can't sit in the cheap options because it's just not fun. So those t- ticket prices, just they're just too much. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, so on the field, I mean, it's Pat Cummins' first series as ODI skipper, so we'll get a bit of a look at him. He did well for New South Wales a couple of years ago, so I'm confident he'll do well with that. No, nah, uh, I'm off him. I'm off him. You're um, off him. What happened? Uh, I just don't think he's a lock for my best 11 in the in the World Cup in India, so I'd sack him as captain. Okay, so so you're serious. Who, who would you replace him with? Oh, anyone. I don't know. Someone as long as they, as long as I, I maybe wait till just before the tournament because I think it, it, one of the things that really doesn't matter is whether you've got a, a stable captain leading up to the tournament. I say that just because to to be contrarian to when they're all saying it's so vital to have the know who the captain is in the weeks leading up to the to the tournament. But I'm I'm making a serious point. Um, if I am picking a one day side for India. Um, I'm not saying I wouldn't have Pat Cummins in it, but I'd have serious question marks over whether he's in my in my best eleven in Indian conditions right now. Uh, wouldn't you agree? Yes, I would agree. And um, I, I, one one thing that does frustrate me is how certain generations think they can reinvent stuff. And I think there's a good reason for not having bowlers as captains. I think there's real merit to that in like a team like this, where you want to be able to rotate your bowlers. I think it's silly that they've put that pressure on themselves. Um, So yeah, I totally agree with you. I'm not sure he's not in our best 11, but I would much prefer uh, they just picked one of, you know, Marnus, Steve Smith, David Warner, and just let the, just let them pick the best bowling attack. Because I heard George Bailey was asked in a press conference a few weeks ago, oh, well, will Pat Cummins be in your – well, that means Pat Cummins will, you know, be in your bowling lineup for um, the subcontinent. That, you know, that means Stark, Hazelwood are kind of vying for maybe two – like they're all vying for two spots. So it just means, yeah, I don't like it. And the answer that he should have given, and he wouldn't give it a million years, is – if he's not in the best 11, we won't pick him. And if it means that we end up having someone else as the captain during the World Cup, it won't matter because you know what? We're grown-ups and we don't yeah. have an IQ of 60. We will be absolutely fine. If just before the match they say, actually, Pat, you're not in the best 11, so you're not in the side, and guess what? We're going to have someone else as captain. Everyone would go, yeah, cool, no worries. Why? I'm, I think they should sack Cummins, Bailey and McDonald. I think they should just <laughs> a major clean out. Uh-huh. Well, and, to- and Tony Donner made as well. 
Well, on that, I, I, I just found a quote from, from Bailey. I, I think I sent it to you during the, the World Cup when he was talking about Finch. And he said, I really found this quite really disappointing. A lot of people were getting a little confused with one-day cricket and T20 cricket. And there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, as if to say, uh, you know, you guys who don't, you know, you're just a little bit confused, you cricket public. Us experts understand, we experts understand that uh, T20 cricket and 50-over cricket are a world away. I mean, you know, they're so different from each other that um, you can totally discount 50 over form when, when you're picking a T20 side. And then he's added, a lot of teams have sort of had someone who played a bit of an anchor role. And that seems to have been spruiked as a reason that other teams are having success. Finchie was almost morphing into that type of player for us. I think his record held up pretty well through the tournament. And he's sort of saying like, oh, well, you know, we don't think it's true, but there seems to be some people saying that you do need this anchor role. And geez, <laughs> accidentally, uh, he started to fall into that category for us. What a bonus. We've now got a, a, it's like they've workshopped ways of justifying his position in the side. Um, you know, I, I just think that that was a, a strange quote from, I, I just don't know anyone who thinks that it was the right thing to do to have Finch in the tournament. He didn't have a terrible tournament, but he didn't have a very good one. Strike rate of 110, that innings against Sri Lanka at the whack of the, you know, the, the slowest 40 ball innings in the history of um, T20 cricket. Um, I, I just think that, that's a strange sort of set of comments from the, the the chief selector. It doesn't strike me as someone who's um, ruthless enough to to be in the position. Yeah, I agree. There's been some very strange comments from Bailey around this T20 World Cup. There was also an article in the news court papers about uh, George Bailey being in the, the the dugout and the dressing room for a lot of matches and, you know, whether that's appropriate for the chief selector to just be milling around there, shouldn't there be some kind of separation? And I can see that if you're a player, you might not be comfortable with, even though Bailey's probably a good bloke, you, you might not appreciate that too much. Well, for those playing Ian Chappell at home, um, that's one of my favourite things, that he would absolutely (laughs) kick you out. That's that that famous story of when they had a a tough loss in World Series cricket and Kerry Packer came down and um, sort of said, bad luck today, son. (laughs) And Ian Chappell's like, in his mind, the dressing room is for players. You're not a player. And so he just turned around, why don't you F off? And Kerry Packer, who's paying the bills, walks out and Greg Chappell says, don't venture to think that he's been told that too often. Um, So yeah, (laughs) I I would love if Ian Chappell could have been in the dugouts just to tell Bailey to get get lost. But I don't think it matters. I think it's absolutely fine. Oh, come on, mate. Um... (laughs) I think the cricket's won on batting and bowling ability, not who's in the dugout. It's just a bad look. Um... Well, what else about this one-day series? Okay, so Travis Head's going to open the batting with David Warner. So that's interesting, you know, whether he can lock down the opening spot. Do you like that? Um, I suppose my my main concern is just with a a tour to India as the big focus, as in the, the Indian World Cup, that's all we care about. Is Travis Head the right person in Indian conditions um, to, to be in the side? I'm not saying no, but I'm saying if you look at his overall uh, one-day international record. He's got a strike rate of 94, an average of 38. Uh, in India, only five matches, strike rate of 80, average of 24. Sri Lanka, where there are sort of similar conditions, strike rate of 77, average of 36. He is under pressure to maintain his test spot um, for the tour of India, notwithstanding what, what might happen this summer. Um, yeah, um, I hope they've seen indications in the nets and behind the scenes that he is um, ready to perform in subcontinental conditions. And he may well be. Uh, Matt Hayden in 2001 went to India and I thought he wasn't going to perform, but he had a, a barnstorming series and maybe, maybe Travis Head will do the same, but that's my main, um, my main concern. 
Yeah, well, I've got two other options that could open. And and the reason I say that is I don't love two lefties at the top. So my other two options would be Cam Green, stick him up the top with David Warner in 50 over cricket. And the other one is Josh Inglis, uh, who's a real dasher who could really make use of that power play. So they're my alternatives to Travis Head um, to open in India next year. Um, and I, I also am interested in what they're going to do with Cameron Green in this series against England because I think it's it's clear they've just got to get him in in every Aussie side that they can now and and stuff this you know player management and workload management and you know he's twenty three he's here he's now he's fit let's see what he can do. Well, I, I think he definitely should be in the side for the World Cup. Um, and then I'm happy for them to manage his fitness. And uh, I think they do have to be sensible at not getting him injured in the lead up to that. Um, but um, that aside, yeah, I, I, I agree. He's, he's good enough to be in the side. And my other player to watch in this one-day series for Australia is Sean Abbott. He bowled the the most economical spell ever in ODI cricket in the series against New Zealand, and uh, he's just he's just getting the ball to swing and shape. And if the conditions are right under lights, he could be a real handful. Absolutely. And um, on that score, um, special mention to Daniel Hughes, who we saw the other week get another hundred. He's not being considered, and I, I suppose I'd find it hard to pick him for Indian conditions because he's unproven in that, but he's recorded in 50-over cricket in Australia, averaging 58 at a strike rate of 88. It's um, There have been plenty of players who've played plenty of games for Australia with vastly worse records than that, so he's a bit unlucky to never really be considered for the Australian side. But where is Tim David's name? Why isn't he in the side? I mean, I think he's a... Surely, if you're picking the, the Australian side for the World Cup in, in a year's time in India, he's got to be in there. I'm not sure, but I heard another pundit say the same thing as you. So it's not out that outlandish. And yeah, he actually, I think he played a list day game for Surrey last year and did pretty well. So yeah, I, I, I would be happy to see him in there. Oh, actually, no, no, no. I know why he's not in there. I forgot um, because let me just remember the quote. Um, a lot of people were getting a little confused with one day cricket and T20 <laughs> cricket. And there's a little bit of difference there. Yeah. I mean, I thanks mean, Bales. Tim Bate, he probably would average zero in 50 over cricket. It's just too different. You know, the fact that he averages about 35 with a strike rate of 160 in 20 over cricket, no way. Um, yeah, I, I, not in addition to Tim David, I think that Nathan Ellis should be um, being considered as well, don't you think? Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing him there, but, you know, they've got the big boys there, Cummins, um, Stark, Hazelwood, then Sean Abbott. Uh, Cameron Green will bowl your overs. Um, so there's just not room, no room for Nathan Ellis. Yeah, I just can't see in a 50-over World Cup in a year's time that we can go in with Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark all in the in Indian conditions. Uh, I just think that's the wrong thing. I, I'd be down to one of them maybe, um, certainly not three, and even two I think might be too many. No, come on, mate. Cummins will be captain, so he has to play. Um, um, I, I think we've got to go heavier in the spin. Um, you know, Agar's got to play, Zampa's got to play in, in India. And I think that starts to squeeze out some of these quicks. And I'd have Ellis and um, Abbott in there ahead of the big three. Well, there's 15 games between now and the World Cup. So this will all be ironed out. I'm sure the selectors will be listening to our advice on Cricket Unfiltered as they did leading into the T20 World Cup. Hey, you going, Bales? Um, Happy to yes. join your show, Bales. <laughs> Uh, there's yeah and we yeah sorry we got confused between the two formats we'll try harder <laughs> next time um 
<laughs> but yeah, uh, the, the the road starts at the uh, Adelaide Oval on Thursday. The road to our sixth 50 over World Cup title. Oh, it's looking good. Um, yeah, it would be a great one to win. Um, be great to be over there. Um, that would be that would be good. Um, That's kind of my aim for next year. I'm thinking either Australia Test Tour to India or the 50 over World Cup. Yeah, that'd yeah, be good. That's my aim. I'm going to f- stuff the ashes. Um, all right, so moving to women's cricket, um, there's reports that Alyssa Healy will take over the captaincy of the Australian team while Meg Lanning continues her break from the game. I think that's a really good decision. Um, Alyssa Healy's done great with the New South Wales breakers when she's captain. She's well-liked. And I actually think captaincy brings out the best in her. So I really like this appointment. Yeah, me too. And uh, just... Um, Looking at the WBBL briefly, and look, because there's so many games at the moment, I don't want to do an in-depth analysis because by the time you listen to this, um, you know, the tournament could be over. But, um, you know, it's interesting at the moment that the the leader at the end of the regular season, the 14 rounds, gets to host the final straight away and then two, three, and four play off to meet in the final. So they've switched that around. And the reason they've done that is to um, allow them to build up the final more. So I think the, the the first spot will get to host the final and that'll give the organisers a week to try and drum up a crowd. I don't really mind that, Paul. What do you think? I like it a lot. And I think sometimes the Big Bash has suffered from that in the past, that cricket to, to a degree is, um, you know, it's something that you book in your diary a fair bit in advance. Um, I'm actually going to the WBBL on Friday night at North Sydney Oval. The, it's a double header, but I'm, we, we'll be there for the, for the Sydney Derby. Really looking forward to that. And that's something that we kind of put in the calendar, um, you know, weeks and weeks ago. So uh, I think to give the final an extra chance of getting more people is a good thing. Yeah, and it's going to make finishing in top spots so valuable. So at the moment, the Sixers are on top, Pete, and nipping at the heels. Um, and there was a classic game on the weekend. Uh, the Scorchers were sent in to bat against the Sixers, and they made four for 176. Beth Mooney made 75, not out of 51 balls. Marizana Cap playing against her old team. The Sixers made 68 of just 37 deliveries. Those two put on 97 in 10 overs. So this is the sort of cricket that's coming towards the conclusion of the WBBL. So the Sixers needed 177 to win, and it came down to the equation. They needed 14 off the last over. Ash Gardner hit the first two balls for six. Then there were two wickets off the next two balls. So um, they needed two to win the match. And then they got Alyssa Healy on strike, who was 100 not out, 103 not out. And she smashed the four off the last ball to win the game, finishing 107 not out of 64 balls. It's probably the game of the tournament so far. And I think a really good display of what the WBBL is all about. Yeah, and if you have been, probably like I've been regretfully uh, so focused on the the World Cup that I haven't had the bandwidth for the WBBL. And if you're looking to get back into it, um, if you can't get to the, if, if you're in Sydney, then go to North Sydney Oval. It's um, the Strikers and the Hurricanes first at 3.40 and then the, the Sydney Derby at 7 o'clock. Uh, but they're both on the Seven Network as well. So uh, perfect opportunity um, for some free-to-air um, top-level cricket if you haven't been um, following the WBBL as much as you might have. 
Excellent. Um, and just with the Sheffield Shield and the Marsh Cup, uh, w, Western Australia are on top of uh, the Marsh Cup and the Shield ladders, um, continuing their dominance from last season. Um, South Australia are doing well in the Marsh Cup. They have three wins and a loss, but they are playing Western Australia as we record this. So it uh, looks like WA will win, but it's a pretty close game there. But WA looking like the, the side to beat in all formats. Queensland a second on the Shield ladder. Um, but yeah, Western Australia, well, they had a good year last year winning the Shield, the Marsh Cup, the BBL, the WBBL, and it's just continuing in that vein. And poor old New South Wales, right at the bottom of the Marsh Cup and second last um, uh, in the Shield. So hopefully um, a better second half of the season for Australia's Premier State. Well, New South Wales are yet to win a game this season in any major competition. So that's pretty uh, miserable reading for New South Wales. All right. Well, that was our little wrap-up of the domestic cricket scene. We'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with Can't Let It Go. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. It is Can't Let It Go, that little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper. Paul, what have you got for me? Um, with regards to COVID and various other things, we have had this extraordinarily, un- extraordinary, unprecedented delay or gap between men's 50-over one-day cricket matches at the MCG. Now, for those of us who can remember back in the 80s, they would sometimes get over 80,000 to a one-day game at the MCG. It was the big, biggest game of the summer, the Australia game, uh, in the tri-series at the MCG, then then one of the finals or sometimes two of the finals there were the big games of the summer. To think that we could have gone this long without one is incredible. And I was speculating, are we going to break the record? And we've gone very, very perilously close. That uh, The first ever one-day game was on the 5th of January, 1971. And the Australians... Um, cricket, cricket Australia then realised, wow, we're on to a winner here. The, the crowd was big. The cricket was entertaining. And they took just another four years <laughs> to hold the second one. So the second one was four days less than four years later. And then the third one was four years and 23 days after that. So the first three one-dayers were all at the MCG. Well, this time around, the last one-dayer at the MCG was on the 18th of January, 2019. The third game of the Australia-England series is the 22nd of November, 2022. So going to be about two months short of four years in, in between matches there. So the third longest gap ever. Um, and you have to go back to the 1970s for something similar. And uh, I wonder if anyone will show up to that game after four years. Um, yeah. It'd be disappointing if the crowd was zero. <laughs> yeah, well, no, there's a few thousand. Um, yeah, so that, that's crazy. That's, that's an incredible stat. Um, all right, my can't let it go is that, uh, look, it's just a little bugbear of mine. Everyone's been talking about this great dynasty of English white ball cricket. And they are a very good white ball team. They've, they've dominated at times the international circuit in the last four or five years. But I just don't think they're nearly as dominant as the West Indies were in the late 70s and the Australians were in the early 2000s. So that, um, you know, England, basically, they scraped over the line in the 2019 World Cup final. Like it, it was a tie. They Awarded the, awarded the cup. So they haven't legitimately won a 50 over World Cup. Then they they win this T20 World Cup, which is great, but, they, you know, a lot of luck involved. So when you look at the West Indies, you know, they 
dominated the first two World Cups, the 50-over World Cups, and Australia have won five 50-over World Cups from 1999 to 2011. We won. We went for a streak where there was we didn't lose a match in 34 matches, and in that there was 27 wins in a row. Now, that's a dominant streak. I just think this English one's faux dominant. When you say 27 wins in a row in the 50 in, in one day cricket. Yes. Did we have seven no results in that period? No, we didn't. No, no. So we there was that tie. So we tied oh, against yeah, yeah, South yeah, Africa yeah. in the 99 semi final. So we actually went from uh, in from the 99 World Cup to 2011, 34 matches without a loss until we lost, I think, um, in the Pakistan. 2011. Yeah. And um, if you go onto our TikTok account and you'll see I did a TikTok. Uh, I was on my, my personal account. Might have made my personal account. Go to my, my TikTok account. I did one. I did a graphic of that a, a while ago, showing all of those results. Um, uh, Menas, look, your point is not without merit, but you've. I think you've um, you've been a bit harsh. Saying that England didn't legitimately win the World Cup is nonsense. They did. There's no asterisk. They won it a hundred percent. Fair and square. Yes, New Zealand were frightfully unlucky, but that's that's the rules. They, um, if England had not won it, they would have been frightfully unlucky. Um, they are the legitimate 2019 World Cup champions, and to, to imply that there's an asterisk against that, I kind of think it invalidates the rest of your point. So I invite you to change your um, your, your tune on that one. <laughs> so so they scrape they they were luckily awarded the 2019 World Cup, but it's it's not a dominant performance. It's not like the it's not like Australia was or, or the West Indies were. I just think, you know, this English white ball team is very, very good. But I think we're all just getting a bit too, you know, excited about it, calling in this some revolution that they've done with the game. I mean, half their coaches are, I mean, more than half their coaches are Australian at the moment. So, yeah. Again, just, again, again, that's, you sound, <laughs> who cares where their coaches are from? Well, I, I just think this is um I just think this is not, you know, what I'd call a really dominant, you know, era by the English white ball team. Very good team that not taking that away from them and they can have their trophies, fair or unfairly. It's not for me to judge, but um I just think, you know, I, I think about that great West Indies side and and the great Australian teams and you know, this English side's not quite there. No, but would you not say they're very much in the conversation for for number three? Well, I have to think about that one. Uh, I, I think hmm, I'm not sure. Uh, I we, think that I'm, they're right up there. I think that if you say that the, uh, oh, I think that the Australian side that won the '99, '03, and '07 World Cups, that is the probably maybe I'm a bit biased. I think that's the, the best and slightly above the the West Indies side of the '75, '79 um, World Cups. Although maybe the West Indies side that didn't win a World Cup in the mid '80s might be better than that, um, even better than that one. But you, you move down from them uh, that South Africa had, you know, periods of very, very good sides and there's been... I never won anything. <laughs> <laughs> I you, know, you know, the irony of, um, you know, me saying South African fans are the worst in the world cricket, we are flying up the South African sports podcast charts. Like, I, I'm serious. I, they, they love it. They love the hate. <laughs> Hello, everyone in South Africa. Um, and... Um, I reckon just off the top of my head, England, since the, I think it's also the the turnaround that they were so terrible in 2015 to, and maybe they weren't quite as bad as 
um, we thought they were in 2015. Maybe the, the, the seeds were already being sown, or just the results. They had a really bad World Cup. But since then, that, that side, it's a, it's a bloody good side. If you go player for player and picking their best white ball side from that period uh, and line them up against that West Indies side and line them up against that Australian side, maybe they would be the third favourite, but there'd be, um, there wouldn't be a huge amount in it. No, I think they might well be the third best side ever. I've got two teams for you. I've got the Indian side that won the 2011 50 over World Cup. That you know, leading up to that, they were just the an imperious 50 over team. Um, so I'd, I'd put them in the conversation. I put Sri Lanka in 1996 for changing 50 over cricket, the way they attacked the new ball and then won the World Cup. And, and I'd probably put uh, Pakistan when they had Wazim and Wakar following those Yorkers at the death as three sides that could challenge that third spot. Yeah, I think that's all fair. Um, but just off the top of my head, I think I'd have England over all of those three. Well, we'll agree to disagree. Um, yeah, well, that's my can't let it go. Just stop, you know, stop over complimenting England, please. Um, <laughs> all right, well, uh, I guess that's it for Cricket Unfiltered, Paul. Um, you know, thanks for joining me. Any party words for our listeners? Um, enjoy the cricket, <laughs> enjoy the Australia game against England, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the um, the WBBL. I hope it's, I hope it's a sunny day. Yeah, we well, enjoy yourself at the WBBL. I'm, I think I'm commentating in some uh, New South Wales Premier cricket, and I'm going to try and get to the SCG for Australia versus England. And, uh, yeah, thanks to everybody who reached out uh, about the World Cup coverage and complimented us for our extra podcasts. I really appreciate the feedback, and thanks to everyone that's gone and rated the show. Another um, thing we really appreciate. And you can find me on Twitter at Amenas, A-M-E-N-N-E-R-S. And where can they find you, Paul? Paul Dennett underscore D-E-N-N-E-T-T. Awesome, mate. Well, um, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next week. See ya. Sports Social Podcast Network.